So every time there is an inquiry made of a developer, it goes on your credit, credit file. And so having a heap of credit inquiries, even though they may not have proceeded, can actually cause a bit of a red flag from the, from the lender. They'll say, okay, what was this about? You are listening to the Property Developer Podcast, your home for tips, ideas, and inspiration to help take your developing to the next level. Now, here's your host, Justin Getty. Hello, listener, and welcome to this episode of the Property Developer Podcast. It's great to have you with me. As I mentioned in the last show, today I'm speaking with a finance specialist about obtaining funding for your property development. Cash and funding are two of the bedrocks of developing, so getting a handle on them is crucial to your ongoing success. And having the right person or team to help you get that funding is obviously very, very important. I can only speak from experience about the hoops we had to jump through to get our construction finance and how much help our finance specialist provided along the way. And that finance specialist is the person that I'm speaking with today. Gail Stapleton is a former long-time ANZ bank executive turned developer's best friend providing a specialist service on securing commercial loans. I sat in a meeting with Gail and our lender and enjoyed her quizzing them on small but important details of our loan offer and watching them raise eyebrows as they checked over the document, realising it might need correcting. That is an example of where having a specialist on your side pays off. In this conversation, we cover issues like common mistakes developers make when applying for funding, what the lender is looking for in your submission, and how to ensure you can continue receiving funding for your projects. I couldn't help but start off by asking Gail what food she could eat until she was sick. Oh, wow. Seafood. Any particular type of seafood? Love prawns. (laughs) The prawns and fresh bread, delicious. Oh, yeah. My brother-in-law once ate 100 oysters in a sitting. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Wow. And they say the 13th one is the one that works. <laughs> well, he's only got two kids, so that theory obviously doesn't, isn't right. He obviously ate too many. <laughs> he was pretty crook afterwards, and I don't think he's done it yes. again since. No. <laughs> but he still likes oysters. <laughs> Not sure I would. Gail, we're here today to talk about finance and particularly development and project financing. Can you give us a bit of a background of yourself and how you've become a broker? Sure, sure. Um, Well, I was originally with ANZ. I had 30 years with ANZ um, and my role in ANZ took me through corporate and commercial banking in Sydney Um, and I was regional executive for corporate banking in Sydney. After that, I took um, a Pacific journey and I worked uh, across the Pacific in 10 different countries. And my last role with ANZ was CEO of the Southeast Pacific, which was five countries I oversaw. Um, And I decided to take the bold step out of um, uh, the secure ANZ network and set up a business of my own. Originally set it up in the Pacific and then 12 months ago decided to do uh, more business in Australia and with my commercial and corporate background, it was a very good fit to, um, to specialise in commercial and development style funding. Yeah, and you've been helping us secure funding for our project, which has been terrific having you as part of our team. Yes, I've enjoyed, uh, I've enjoyed being involved. Yeah, very much. It, uh, it was really great having you in the last 
meeting we had with the bank where you pulled them up on a couple of little things in the agreement that they kind of raised their eyebrows at that someone had <laughs> picked up on them? Yeah, well, I think this is this is one of the benefits, I suppose, of um, um, moving from, you know, from the secure world of banking to the dark side, as they call it. Um, I know what is a must-have and what's a, a like-to-have. I'm very happy to pull them up if I have to. Yeah, well, look, as a client, it was awesome having you in that meeting and being able to keep these guys on the straight and narrow. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I think that's having that very strong banking background really helps. Yeah, exactly. And um, also, I think just being involved with a number of different projects in Australia, but also in the Pacific, it just opens you just your level of experience is bigger. And so you've seen, you've seen situations and you've learned from experience how to handle them. So today, we're going to talk about funding and getting funding for development projects. So what advice do you have for de- what you what you learn from a development course is very different from what reality is. And then why would you say a developer should go through a finance specialist like yourself than going direct to the bank? Um, well, the reason for that is um, in the development sector, it is such a moving feast of lender appetite. And if you only go to one lender, you could have something in place. Um, and then, you know, three months before you're going to start, the lender says, look, I'm sorry, um, we've changed our appetite. So that puts you back to the drawing board. The other thing is by having a finance specialist, um, like, for example, I've got a panel of 34 lenders. Now, not all 34 lenders will do development finance, but as a result of having access to several lenders, you um, are more up to date with what's happening in the market, more up to date with what's what the lender appetite is, and you will be more aware of what is the market pricing for particular transactions. Now, when I talk to people from the banks, they always talk about how they like to build a relationship up with you and they have long-term relationships with developers that they've had for 5, 10, 15 years. And when I put that to you about whether that was a good thing or not, you hesitated a little bit and thought it's probably not the wisest of ideas to have all your eggs in one basket. Can yeah. you just explain that again? Yeah. Well, the reason for that is, is because of the changing appetite. Of, of lenders and you can ha- and I mean I am very focused on relationship um, banking um, I mean that's what I did when I was with ANZ and that's the path I follow now um, you can you can build a relationship through your finance specialist with potentially a particular lender and that person may be very much attuned to what you want and actually buy into your strategy and your business plan but things can happen beyond that person's control. Um, you know, you work in a large organisation, you know, the, the top four. Um, decisions are not ba- made by that relationship banker. So they'll have decisions forced on them that they've then got to communicate. And um, I think relationship is important, but to have just one relationship I don't think is good, good risk management from a developer's point of view. And it's more, for the, it's more sector-driven than anything else. So what are the key elements that you see to a successful development finance application? Oh, well, certainly level of equity um, and uh, level of experience. I think um, the having a good team working around you, um, for example, your, certainly your architect, your 
uh, buyer's advocate or your sales professional, your builder, um, your lawyer, your accountant, and obviously your finance specialist, um, having a good team working around you, having communicated the, the, the plan along the way, obviously getting pre-sales. I think being very clear and um, in your strategy in terms of what, yours, what you personally as a developer is strong in and what you're not and how you're going to mitigate, mitigate that from the rest of your team. And are there ways that you can structure your finances so the bank will look, at, look upon you very favourably? Well, I think that comes back to the earlier question. Um, I think certainly certainly have your personal financing um, separate from your, uh, from your business financing or development financing. And I think it comes back to the level of equity. If you've got a separate income stream, that's always um, going to be of interest to the lenders. And just being prepared disclosing everything and not having something that, you know, that skeleton in the past that you that you don't want to come out, guess what? It will always come out. And what might that skeleton be? Well, it could be... Um, earlier I talked about um, the developers erring in trying to shop their deal um, themselves with, you know, I, I've seen situations where developers have tried to shop it with, you know, 10 different lenders... Um, so every time there is an inquiry made of the developer, it goes on your credit credit file. And so um, having a heap of credit inquiries, even though they may not have proceeded, um, can actually cause a bit of a red flag from the from the lender. They'll say, "Okay, what was this about?" So it's just this, and and or it could be something very mean, very menial that it could be a default. It could be a utility default that goes back a number of years that you've forgotten about. So it's just, you know, in this day and age of disclosure and level of credit checking, if you've got something you're going to hide, it'll come out. Which leads in, I was going to ask about what red flags are they looking for and how do banks go about assessing your application? Well, you've got, obviously, they'll, they'll assess the actual transaction, the development transaction, and that will come into your feasibility study, absolutely. Um, and the the professionals you've got working with you, the account, the architect, the builder, the real estate professional, they'll look at pre-sales and they'll look at the validity of pre-sales. Um, as you'll recall, a, a valid pre-sale um, is assessed as, uh, as one that you've got 10% deposit, not 5%. And also um, lenders are nervous about having too many foreign non-residents. So more than 10% is a red flag for the lender. And the reason for that is they're not convinced that those transactions will necessarily follow through to to settlement. I was going to ask about the absolute must-dos if you want to secure regular construction funding. Business plan, communication, good team of people working around you, and demonstrated experience. And I guess if you don't have that demonstrated experience, then you leverage off the people that you've got in your team. Correct. Yeah, so be very clear. Yeah, be very clear where you're strong and where you're not. The first-time developers are the most difficult. (laughs) You'll be pleased to know that. Um, (laughs) I'm not taking it personally. (laughs) No, I mean, when I say most difficult, most difficult to get a loan approved. Um, And and that's, again, sector-driven because the development sector is, is, is... seen by banks as being uh, high risk. Uh, and so one of the things that lenders like to see is past experience. 
but how does a new developer get past experience until they do their first, yeah? So um, a first-time developer is going to be the most difficult transaction to get through. And so as a first-time developer, it's important that the level of equity is strong and that you've got alternate mechanisms if necessary and you've thought about what could go wrong and have mitigation strategies in place. Okay, so when a developer is looking at an offering or offerings by lenders, Mm -hmm. what things should they be looking for? I know there's always the headline interest rate, but there's more to it than that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think... Certainly, you're on the finance, on the um, actual cost of your financing, look at the total cost because you've got, as you know, you've got the interest rate, you've got a margin, you've got a line fee. And whilst your margin could be small, if your line fee is high and that's being charged on the full um, development amount, that increases your total level of, of, um, of cost. But as you said, it, it is a lot more than that. What you want to know as a developer is what process will the lender follow once you've got a loan in place? Because, yes, getting the loan can be difficult and it's tedious and it's time-consuming, but once you've got that in place, you want to make sure that the lender is with you in terms of uh, timeliness of drawdowns. And how do you ensure that or how do you find that out? Well, you ask the question, um, you get your finance specialist involved and you are very clear on what that process is in terms of the QS involvement. Make sure the QS is involved along the way. Make sure the builder is very uh, is very aware of what is required in terms of his progress claims and what the QS will need to be able to validate those progress claims. And make sure all the documentation is, in, is completed. So it's lodged once, there's no duplication. Yes, and a good piece of advice someone gave me was to get really close with your quantity surveyor. Yep. So that you've got that relationship with them and they can quickly assess claims and move them through. Yep. I think that whole relationship piece is important with, you know, the whole, well, it's important in, in business, isn't it? But, you know, when you think about development, developers, there are a number of different relationships that they need to keep strong and the QS is definitely one. Yeah, and I think that's one that people perhaps overlook. Yep. They look at them as, as commodity providers. Mm. But, you know, let's face it, they can you know, they can cause some difficult times for you. So, Gail, my understanding is that the banks always like to have or like to see at least a 15% profit margin on projects. Mm-hmm. Is that accurate? Yeah, it's pro- that, that would be on the, on the lower end. Um, I think, uh, you know, 15 to 20 is probably a better number. And the reason for that is it just gives you that fat uh, if, if there are things that go awry or things take longer, which they typically do. And, you know, when you're looking at a business, um, if you're looking to invest in a business, that's the level of return that you would want to go into business. So if you're wanting to accept a return lower than that, there's there's questions. And would the bank accept those? They They would want to understand the reasons why. Yeah. So do they take into account that the 15% margin sort of exists in in an inflationary environment of sort of, at the moment, it's sort of 4.5%, 5 5%. So wouldn't the overall profit margin also decrease? Um, or that would you have some additional margin there because of the lower interest rate? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, but as we know, interest rates can change very quickly. Yeah. And the interest rate and 
uh, development finance in, financing is bill finance, which can so if there is a quick is there is a quick you know, uplift in interest rates, it's going to flow through the bill finance very quickly. I think it's a guide, and it really comes back to if you are in business, what level of return will you want to be able to um, have a sustainable business, and that will actually be able to manage the good times and the bad. And can you just explain that bill rate for us? Because I've heard that t- many times before and I think I kind of understand it. But any... Yeah. Well, it's, the, uh, it's just the financing mechanism that the banks use typically for development financing. And they, what they do is they, they, they buy bills in the market and, they, um, and then they'll take off the interest margin so you get a net amount to your account. And each, each roll, which could be 30 days, which typically would be 30 days in a development-style transaction, the bill matures. So say it's 100000 um, on the 30th of, um, December, on 30th of um, March, you will have to pay 100000 but then they'll roll another bill uh, for a hundred, and, and so you'll get 100000 less the interest. So you might get 95000 to your account. So that's just, it's just a different way of funding, but it's it's more market-related, which is um, deemed to be the best style of funding for development-style funding. So, Gail, developer income can be a little bit lumpy or uneven, where you get big lumps of cash every, say, two years or three years. What can a developer do to smooth out their income or how do lenders view developer income? I think for starters, the lenders know that it is lumpy, um, and this is where your your margins come in as well. That is a reason for the the you know the preferred margin um, because it is lumpy. What you could do, um, which is what uh, Sunhawk spoke about, is in your business plan you're always looking at your next project. All right, you're very clear on okay, what is it that I want to be famous for? And you've got one project in place. Um, it's in, you know, you've got your pre-sales done, you've got the build started, you're uh, comfortable with your quality builder, and so you're net, then looking, looking for your next one. So it's about having a couple of developments in different stages. Alternatively, you could have an alternate revenue stream that you're building. Now, that could be from retaining uh, a couple of the townhouses, for example, so you've got your rental income or it could be um, building another revenue stream around you know, managed funds or shares or another stream to your business, uh, whether it be, you know, we talked earlier about this whole communication education piece. That would be um, alternatives that you could follow just to um, reduce that lumpiness. But, you know, in reality, we know that development finance is lumpy. And so then how do developers go about acquiring the site initially? Because usually it's easier to get residential finance to secure the property and then flip it over or switch it over into a commercial loan. Mm -hmm. So if you've kind of got lumpy income, how do you secure that second site or the next site? Yeah. Well, this comes back to equity. You know, for you to buy, if you have got an existing site in place, an existing development in place, um, and you've got your pre-sales, and it's just ticking along the the actual uh, build process. All right, that's ticking along. You then see your next site, um, and you say, okay, then I want to want to put my foot on that site. 
Um, so you've got up, you've got you know a couple of paths you can go down. Um, a lender for a, a development site typically won't lend more than fifty percent for that. Yep, yep, so you okay. need to have a, a chunk of money. Um, alternatively, you can look at op- options. Uh, some some developers actually take an option out on a particular site, um, and you know what they pay for that is obviously a lot less than the full purchase price. Uh, and that will just allow you some time while the income is coming through from the other development. Okay. And what about options for non-bank lending? Do you yep. ever get involved in private lending or...? Yep. Um, yes, I do have access to, um, you know, your private um, investors um, as well as mezzanine finance and your senior debt. Um, as you know, we use senior debt for you. But there are other options which I do have access to. They're obviously more price, more more costly. And is that for people that maybe the margins aren't there, or they're just happy to pay for a perhaps quicker process in terms of obtaining the funding? Well, I think it happens mostly with clients that actually don't have the level of equity. You know, they can't actually do it themselves, so they say, "Okay, um, I'm you know I've got my business plan. This is what I want to do." Um, the margins uh, are, uh, will allow me to bring in uh, another investor, and that and they and that uh, investor actually buys into their strategy, and and it will work. And potentially, you may see that this investor will buy into this one, and then the next one, and the next one. Um, but it's more it's it's essentially one. It's essentially for developers that don't have the equity. Um, and typically, they will either have contacts or be able to introduce to um, be introduced to private uh, investors. If you get out your crystal ball and have a mm-hmm. look into the future for the next twelve months, maybe twenty-four months, which is a long time, mm-hmm. what do you see happening across the market from a lender lender's perspective? Yeah, look, I think um, in the development sector, it's going to continue to be quite patchy. You've got you've got a couple of lenders that are, are putting their toe back into the market, the likes of um, um, Suncorp, Bank of Queensland, for example, and the likes of um, Suncorp. You may see them going beyond um, Queensland, which will be good, but it's it's going to be patchy, um, and I think there is going to be continual nervousness for uh, inner city um, in in all in all the states. So I think the, the outer regions are the ones that the lenders are going to have more interest in, you know, a la your site, being Moorlbark. Um, okay. And Gail, if people would like to find out more about how you can help them obtain funding, where can they find out more about you or how can they contact you? Okay. Thanks, Justin. Um, they can have a look at my website. Uh, my website is stapletonpacific.com. Alternatively, my email address is gail, G-A-Y-L-E, at stapletonpacific.com. Great. Well, I can certainly attest to the quality of service that you've provided with us, Gail, and you've been incredibly helpful getting our funding sorted out. Thank you. It hasn't been a smooth process, but you've kind of been a bit of a rock through the whole thing. Great. Oh, well, I'm pleased. (laughs) (laughs) I've enjoyed the process as well. All right. Well, we might leave it there. Gail Stapleton, thank you so much for being on the Property Developer Podcast. Thanks, Justin. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks to Gail for sharing that information with you. 
I find understanding how funding works to be a moving feast, so having someone to stay on top of it for you and help you with it is invaluable. Getting your financial affairs in order and keeping them that way will help you to continue delivering successful developments. Here's three points I took out of our conversation. One, ask questions of your finance specialist. Gail mentioned a couple of good questions to ask, such as, what level of experience have you had? What have you been doing? What brought you into broking? And how are you going to handle the transaction? Will you continue to help us through it or just introduce us to the lender? And how many lenders do you have access to? Gail said she is surprised how rarely she gets asked about other clients she has worked with. This is a great way to establish credibility and whether or not your finance specialist has the relevant experience and provides a good service. So, like most things in developing, you need to ask the right questions. Two, allow plenty of time to get your loan sorted. This is one I have recent experience with. It always takes longer to get your loan sorted than you think it will. We thought it would take six to eight weeks. Well, it took way longer than that. And this is where your finance specialists can help you identify and gather up documents that you will need to submit with your application and also help push things along with the lender. Depending on the size of your loan, you may also be dependent upon valuation and quantity surveyor reports, which could take several weeks before the bank will even begin to progress your application. Three, make sure you are operating with a profit margin the lender will be comfortable with. This seems to be a bit of a fuzzy line and may be dependent on the value of your loan. I was taught that lenders pretty much demand a 15% margin on a project before they will loan you money, but it seems that figure may actually be higher. I know this can be hard to achieve in certain areas and on certain projects, so it may be worth discussing this with your finance broker to see what you need to do. Obviously, if you have good equity, it can change up the numbers, so it depends on many factors. If you have any finance questions you would like answered, please post them on the Property Developer Podcast website, propertydeveloperpodcast.com, under this episode, and I'll see if Gail can answer it for you. That's almost it for today. I'd love it if you could take the time to head over to iTunes and rate the show, or drop by the website for all the past episodes and leave a comment. Until next time, may all your project profits be above 15%. You've been listening to the Property Developer Podcast. Tune in next time for more tips, ideas and inspiration to take your developing to the next level. For more developing love, make sure to visit propertydeveloperpodcast.com.